guest today on Future Fossils, Mitch Schultz, uh, the director and producer of the documentary DMT Spirit Molecule, the founder of Mythify. I'm excited to be able to share company with with respect to finding you know an honest and, and, and interesting, adventurous way to engage with the financial and, and physical constraints of life and still do something you care about. So thanks for being here, Mitch. <laughs> thanks for having me. It's good to be on with you guys and uh, always good to connect again with some friends. In every episode, and I'm, I'm sure that you know this by now, Mitch, if you don't, just play along. We've, we've invited a sort of different angle on time and on responsibility. You know, our place in, in the cosmos, you know, where the you are here map of eternity and where we fit on it and how different people experience time and, and experience the sense of the, the, the distant past and the distant future. And just, just given your history of documentary work, you clearly have a bunch of awesome things to say about that. But since Evan brought it up, I think uh, maybe the place to start is to talk about the, the time-honored metaphor that time is money. Because we were, <laughs> we were talking about the, the relationship between you know, how we value our own time and our, our personal set of values, our, our, our ideals and our beliefs, and then how that lines up with the, the changing nature of work in the 21st century. So I'd love to hear what you think about all of that. <laughs> right into that. I yeah, let's it. go. Um, well, I, I think the idea of time is money is changing drastically in our society. If you wanted to tie it to that capitalist kind of structure of how we're trying to quantify ourselves and what we're worth and what we're doing, because even the idea of money is changing drastically. You know, as we're seeing the economy start to fall, plus people getting into things that really drive kind of their heart or what you know what makes them makes life worth living and getting out of these corporate structures um, and so you know i think those ideas are, are morphing and changing and so the idea of time is money uh, you know maybe time is peace or you know we could probably take it any which way you know at the same time it is that being able to sustain yourself um, over time and to continue to put out stuff that, that hopefully people are responding to as an artist. Uh, I think a lot of artists struggle with that, but I also feel that a lot of people are stepping back into an artistic expression um, and how they're looking at their work. I don't know if that answered your question necessarily, <laughs> or we talked around a bunch of that, uh, but in general, I think time, time is money is, is shifting in our culture. Yeah, and again, I think you might be talking to the wrong, uh, wrong group of people here. Michael and I know nothing about that. So, uh, as artists, <laughs> constantly struggling every day to find a way to, to innovate and to find a new, uh, uh, you know, foot forward uh, on a daily basis with respect to these constantly changing variables, uh, we can't relate at all. And I apologize. <laughs> or alternatively, this conversation by admitting that all three of us are probably unemployable. <laughs> just like that, can we collect unemployable insurance <laughs> or if anybody out there listening has a job that would fit our credentials uh please feel free to reach out <laughs> always down to try something new but yeah i mean I, I think part of it too is just almost an inevitable uh shift or, or a migration uh in a way to adapt to changing technologies because now we can leverage so many new platforms and like today i was watching a video of a uh, a guy who has uh, designed a uh, almost fully mechanized aquaponic system uh, that can be modular and expanded almost uh, ad infinitum 
uh, using Arduinos that it can control from any point on Earth uh, via the Internet. In a way that would, in the past, take an entire uh, staff or an entire like, group of farmhands, a lot of machinery that would need to be manned uh, by humans in, in person. Now Arduinos are doing that. And even blockchain technology, Bitcoin, depending on where, where you're coming at it from, uh, but the blockchain technology behind that is it's starting to shift and, and redefine how we understand monetary flow or some sort of an exchange mechanism uh, for all this. And it, and it can help separate kind of wage earners um, or hourly wage earners from the owners and company with these new technologies. And you're, and you're right. It's, it's shifting everything that we're doing. It's, it's not just the technology, but then everything else is tying into it. I know that we've, we've soared into the lofty visionary heights in previous episodes. So it's kind of, you know, your sort of liberating work, Mitch, was the documentary DMT, The Spirit Molecule. Mm-hmm. And so all of your sort of more auteur art projects since then have built on the, the unprecedented success of that film. You know, in light of that, there's something about uh, credibility and establishing oneself that is related to this, because I think that we're going to have to find new ways and seek out new categories. I was reading an article lately, I think it was in Forbes magazine, talking about how we've hit peak Uber. And what they were saying was that the laws in this company around employment are no longer suited to the age. Because we, like you were saying, with respect to, you know, you possibly using blockchain to account for things. Uh, and, you know, list employment categories or work categories that in the United States, because we only have employee or independent contractors, that a lot of companies have risen up to exploit what is essentially a legal loophole where they don't have to provide benefits for people that are actually doing what would be considered full-time work, Yeah, you know, with training, et cetera. And that what this may require of us is, uh, establishing like two or three new categories for employment, you know, where it's like in between fully independent contracting and, and full-time employment where they might get access to un- unemployment benefits, but they wouldn't have health insurance or that kind of thing. So I, anyway, I just think it's hilarious that here we are, you know, talking to someone who's, whose work that I hope we spend more time on later in this podcast <laughs> is incredibly psychedelic. And we're sitting here discussing possibly the most mundane stuff. <laughs> you are also the person that taught me uh, the importance of establishing my own uh, legal entity as a business Ooh. and you know the, the various benefits uh, that provides in terms of tax filing, et cetera. So I don't think that these are necessarily two separate things, right? The, the, the sacred and the profane are actually connected in the middle somewhere. I propose we find it. <laughs> I think it's constantly shifting. Who knows? And once we find it, we're going to have to find it in its next iteration. The way things are structured, again, with respect to, say, telecommuting to your job or finding alternative structures and ways of going about your work is going one of two ways. Like a, there, there's a, maybe too much of a polarity in that or dualism, but I've seen two types of patterns emerge, and, and I'm sure there are, there are others. Uh, one is the, the Google sort of approach where you really incentivize employee loyalty and you provide a, an abundance of benefits, things that really get down to the core of what human beings uh, resonate with, what we really actually need to, to get the best work done. And, and alternatively, uh, the professional market uh, in a way almost incentivizes freelance. And I know, like you mentioned, Michael, there are a lot of conundrums there with respect to insurance and, and sort of these pseudo positions um, with uh, ill-defined terms. 
if you're uh, quick and you hustle, uh, if you're a freelance, you can actually make a good amount more in, in many cases in whatever sector versus uh, full-time employment for a particular company. So there's a decoupling now of that consumer and uh, employee loyalty that we used to see in the past. People now, just, they, they want the best products, whatever it is, regardless of where it comes from, whatever company created it. And uh, employees want the best employment opportunity, regardless of who the, the boss is or the other uh, benefits in, in many cases. And um, now it's almost a liability if you're a young person and you work at a company for over two years. Uh, many people are actually like doing that uh, for a short period of time and then switching to a new position just because the numbers show that it's more beneficial. My, my friend just sent me this link to an interview with the, the Polish-born sociologist, I hope I'm saying his name right, Zygmunt Bauman. Okay. And uh, he articulated a theory of what he calls liquid modernity in the late 1990s, which describes our age as one in which, quote, all agreements are temporary, fleeting, and valid only until further notice. So, like, on the one hand, I'm thinking of Aziz Ansari's stand-up, uh, routine where he's talking about how flaky millennials are and how uh, how bad people are at trying to set up dates by text. Yeah. And right. So, but but then on the other side of it is uh, the graphic novelist Alan Moore had an interview in which he said that he saw what our society is going through right now as kind of a phase transition, and said that you know that what Bauman is calling the liquid modernity would be with, you know, holding multiple contracts simultaneously and, you know, these, this sort of uh, technomatic predilection for juggling multiple topics and living in the intersections and, you know, living at the synthesis of things is very much like the, uh, what I feel like has been revealed to me through the psychedelic experience mm -hmm. in terms of, you know, what this higher level of order in which our mundane reality sort of precipitates or emerges. And so maybe like as our society is getting more psychedelic, it's also getting sort of truer to the nature of reality or like harder to escape because the change is so much more obvious. I don't know if that makes any sense. Yeah, and I think, I, I think the psychedelic experience um, or mystical experience for that matter can take away those those boundaries if you will and it, I know it seems a little <laughs> a little new age right but it's a uh, it, it also opens up to hey everything that I'm telling myself is just that I'm just telling myself that um, and there, there's a lot more to reality if you will than than just your story and um, in fact there's billions of stories happening on this planet at any given point right and probably more than that even I'll just keep it within the human realm but it does it opens you up to new possibilities you get to look at things in completely different ways your perspective changes and even if that doesn't completely lock it down uh, it gives you that possibility of saying hey there's something else here to explore and this isn't the be-all, end-all, so to speak. Um, and, and I think technology is doing the same thing. It's making us more psychedelic, not just the psychedelics. Um, where technology now with the internet, what, 20 years, a little over 20 years old, I guess, opening up and smashing cultures together and, and showing hybrids of all sorts of amazing stuff. Um, and we're, we're getting kind of pushed into that next realm just, just because of that. Yeah, I mean, uh, we almost don't have a choice. It's kind of like a, a adaptive uh, progress in 
the response to these technological developments that in some cases have been made uh, quite a long time ago. And uh, there's kind of a lag or a latency between the, uh, the human user and the technological capacity available. And uh, something that keeps on, on popping up for me personally is, is finding the, the best fit for these technologies, like finding a way to sort the, the signal to noise ratio, which we mentioned in a previous podcast, uh, sort of a parallel to, to digital signal processing and alleviate these sometimes uh, overwhelming amounts of data and information, emails, social media retweets, whatever it might be, and really find the best utility for them. So it's kind of like a pendulum. No one to respond to any of your texts, and then one day for me, like I'll go through 100 emails, 100 texts, and you know, binge it and uh, try to deal with it that way, but it's unsustainable. So we're, we're learning how to use it, and I think it's going to take a while. Definitely, and they don't happen overnight. I think we're... we're reminded of that pretty much daily even though i think on our, our human time scale we want it now uh, getting back to the time idea michael of uh, trying to force things through but a lot of times if we get out of the way uh, that time just kind of does its thing and um, there's more complexity here than just our own simple life right so they are going to take some time to kind of shake themselves out and let the, the viscosity change. Um. <laughs> There's that, that great line. Uh, I think, you know, I, this is one of those things that's like attributed to random Native American proverb, but that notion that, that uh, our effort, our striving is pushing the river. And that, you know, given that the three of us have spent so much time, this just seems to be a thing worth discussing today. It's come up a couple times. This notion of a critique of this, this self-professed conscious or visionary or transformational culture that is, uh, you know, it gets points for acknowledging that it's participating in the evolutionary process, but is in some sense also pushing the river to the extent that we take credit for participating in that process, that we think that, that we're the ones that are evolving the world rather than the evolving world is evolving us. Exactly. <laughs> There's that uh, humans, if we could look back through our history, have been very egocentric in how much we think we're in control or our perspective is exactly right or it's them over there that don't understand what's going on or America's great, whatever it may be, and you're still hearing it in this kind of visionary culture of, oh yeah, we're the ones doing it, we're the ones doing it, and it's still a very exclusive club. Um, it shuts out a lot of it, and it takes it takes us out of, out of the natural space or the natural, or reality, if you want. This thing is much bigger than one human or the entire human population. We're just part of this system, um, and we're not really pushing anything forward. As far as I'm concerned, we're riding waves. We yeah. a role in it, but I don't think that we are pushing it forward. Right. Well, this coming from a guy who's used social media to to propagate and and uh, move forward information with respect to psychedelics and uh, other uh, states of uh, mental and uh, spiritual experience that, in a way, nullify and transmute time. Um, so, full disclosure there, Mitch. I feel like you should, uh, you know, take riff on that at some point if you would like to. But I, I hear you. Like, I you know, it wasn't me. <laughs> fair point. I mean. <laughs> It's kind of like the idea of, uh, you know, feeling really uh, big for your britches, basically, if you feel like you can control everything, kind of the, the Trump mentality. 
Um, or alternatively, there's there's the you know the route you can take, which is feeling totally worthless or like you're nothing and like you're tiny in comparison to the rest of the universe. But I guess like a recent data has shown that compared to the the estimated size of the cosmos and what we know about the Planck scale of sort of quantum behavior. And human beings are pretty nicely situated in the middle, like in the Goldilocks zone of, of scale. And uh, we're kind of important, but we're also kind of not. And I, I like that personally. It makes me feel like the pressure's off, but there's still something to do. Definitely. And I, and I think there's something to that. If we can just look at our, our own planetary culture here and, and start to see that we are having an impact on the nature of reality around us. And we're starting to become more and more aware of that. So it's not that we're irrelevant. Um, we definitely are playing a role, um, but it is not the be, again, the be all end all. There's so much more involved in it. But for whatever reason, we seem to be kind of on that edge um, that's, that's shifting that conscious perspective of the universe um, and in some way playing a, uh, I guess we're, we're learning how to tweak the knobs a little bit. So that awareness right there um, opens up to something beyond just us being a, a cog in the wheel. Yeah, there's there's a book that I'm probably going to bring up every single conversation that we have, Evan, <laughs> so I apologize. But, but Mitch, I've been on kind of a bender with the uh, rich media surrounding this book, The Clock of the Long Now by Stuart Brand, mm -hmm. in which... Now, one of the chapters, every every essay in the book is a different take on time and and longevity and what it means to think over long spans of time and what it means to nest human activity within natural cycles. And he's got a this particular chapter where he's talking about there being uh, like harmonics in which the you know the quickest things to change are fashion. Whereas the slowest things to change would be like cultural traditions like religion. Mm -hmm. And then in between those, you have government, you have infrastructure. And he, he, he set like, I think it was like six or seven different aspects of human life that all adapt to change at their own rate. You know, like the leaves falling off a tree is one thing, you know, but then the, the trunk of the tree growing is operating at a different pace. And he said, you know, that if, we're, if we're really to, to live in time in a mature way, we need to understand the, the way that these quick, like these rapidly changing things influence and also do not influence these slower uh, aspects of human life that actually have more momentum and, and more uh, like longevity and endurance. And then how that, that also flows the other way. So we're standing in this multidimensional relationship to time rather than seeing it in the sort of uh, like elementary uh, oversimplified way as just duration you know that every minute is the same as every other minute mm -hmm. I've been fascinated just looking at my own life and <clears throat> a lot of people talk about as you get older your perception of time seems to speed up uh, when I was a kid you're like oh summer lasts forever <laughs> and now as you know an entire year goes by and it feels like it was a day and if we're looking at maybe the fractal nature of what we're starting to peer into the general reality or the overarching reality, how does that fit into a fractal representation on those next levels? And I think you're kind of touching on it there, Michael. There was a, a new article that I read recently as well that uh, there was some, I have to pull this one up now and I'm going to space on who it was and where it was, but that they found that time and the processes within that 
the processes within that can run backwards and forwards. It's not just our perspective of a, uh, a linear structure going in one direction. Right. Uh, that it can be going opposite direction at the same time. Yeah, you can conduct almost a, any scientific experiment uh, in reverse if we could potentially pull that off and, and wind up with the same uh, results or starting point, depending on how you look at it. And it would get to that point, of, or that at least maybe an idea that it's all happening at the same time, our past, present, and future. And it's just a matter of where we are on that spiral, if you will, um, to, to how we're perceiving time. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. We touched on that in our first chat, actually, I think, when we were trying to map out the, the landscape of time. There is actually like that growing body of research that suggests that there's that cause and effect doesn't just flow in the one direction. And that in some sense, the past is limited or constrained or influenced by things that occur in the quote unquote relative future, which, you know, we've we shouldn't really be all that surprised about considering we've, you know, physics has known for over a hundred years that what is past and what is future are relative to the acceleration frame of the observer, right? And that like, because light is moving at a constant speed that what looks like somebody's future is actually occurring in somebody else's past to the, to the third person standing over to one side. So we would expect that, that, uh, the influence that that uh, relationship would not be so simple. Well, and DeLorean is coming out with a new car, and I, I, <laughs> what? I saw a headline. I was like, "Wow, DeLorean coming back! I love it." That is awesome. <laughs> well, it, it reminds me in a way of like a looking at the the reverse causality between maybe cause and effect, or, or sort of the, the interchangeability to some degree, and. You know, uh, this is not to take a, like a factual take or to say that this is a for sure proven thing, but uh, there is a great deal of uh, uncertainty and nebulousness in, in a lot of these uh, uh, descriptions of time and observations and scientific rationalizations of why it exists and what it is. But uh, you know, you could you could look at like the Big Bang, for example, at the beginning of time, like year zero, uh, as a highly energetic, explosive event hurtling energy and and then matter throughout the uh, then birthing cosmos. But then there's this idea also of, of the other great uh, all-seeing eye at the other end of the spectrum, which is, you know, what some have referred to, including Terence McKenna, as the, the strange attractor, or to take, like, Terence's voice a little bit more, like, the strange attractor <laughs> at the end of history. Um, it's an interesting concept, you know. Uh, we were actually just talking to Bruce Damer, a uh, podcast uh, last week, uh, who was a friend of Terence's, and, uh, I kept on meaning to ask him about the strange attractor, and, and I think it might have come up uh, once in the conversation, perhaps, but uh, I'd love to hear your riff on that, Mitch. Well, I, I mean, there's something to that, and again, just looking at the idea of the Big Bang, is that just another human concept to try to understand our origins, you know, um, and just how, how light is traveling at that point and our perception within that? Is it just opening up to, okay, it's just another um, kind of egocentric approach. But but the strange attractor, I love that idea. In fact, uh, my business partner and I, Steve, have talked about trying to develop Mythify as a strange attractor in a way. Uh, where we're able to just, we're going to put out what we do, trying not to force it in any particular way, and being able to discuss it in 
hopefully more complex ways that are happening in our political stance and, and, and kind of general culture right now, uh, but looking at these emerging ideas and tech um, and just letting those that are gravitating to it with their thoughts and ideas um, feed that. Uh, because I don't think it's just the one way that, that pulls on that strange attractor, but it also is this kind of feedback loop in every direction. Something I've felt as well, kind of in this uh, this more psychedelic mentality at times of uh, a spiral feeding into itself or a feedback loop in general. But that's that's definitely an aside. I'd love to, to loop back to uh, speaking of which, uh, Mythify, which is your uh, your platform for a multimedia integration of, of multiple uh, contributors. Yeah, it's in general it is kind of a four part story. Uh, DMT being kind of the beginning of that or the, the seed of that. Putting the DMT together was a large and a heavy learning process uh, that I was undergoing personally while while going through that. And it, and it became more than what originally was just the psychedelic experience where my mind was blown. I was like, wow, this is a story. I've got to go tell it. Uh, but piecing those things together, you start to see that, all right, you can have these experiences, psychedelic experiences or timeless experiences, but we are in this three-dimensional space. So and I had to start asking myself questions of how am I moving in the world? You know, how are we growing food or how am I treating animals? How am I using resources? And trying to tie in that psychedelic or mystical state into the three-dimensional realm. And it got a little bit more interesting. And um, we're started shooting the second part of this Mythify story a few years ago and, and picking that back up actually again this year. Uh, but then there's also that next sense of when you are kind of in the three-dimensional space, living in a symbiotic relationship, hopefully, how are you celebrating that? You know, how are you expressing your being? Whatever that is, it could be dance, it could be art, uh, writing, any number of things. And then taking that into kind of a general story or, or new mythology sharing with others and communicating with others and, and getting that feedback loop. So we wanted to look at kind of a big overarching human story and then open it up. So all of the media that we're shooting for these projects in this four-part series become open source and almost just jumping off points or, or entry points for people to come participate in that story. So yeah, Mythify is kind of a at least the base of it, a uh, four-part story for us, but then we're putting it out there and then inviting other people to come in and play with that. Other contributors, people that might want to just comment, people that might want to use the footage or the music to create something new, uh, or those on the edge that are out there doing some very interesting things, just start connecting the dots a little bit, pulling in some of these people to look at, get outside of their own kind of circles and, and start looking at the complexities a little bit more. Sure, man. Uh, I dig that a lot. It's a, it's a really uh, solid uh, base for expanding lots of uh, media that I'm sure will be uh, highly novel, to say the least. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting talking to you. Uh, yeah, even setting up, uh, getting back to the legal structures and the business aspect, yeah. setting this up with a lawyer and saying, okay, well, I just want to put my media out for free and open source it. And, and the lawyer's like, I, I don't understand. I, you, you mean, you, is it okay if they just make it whatever they want? Are you sure you want to do that? I'm like, Yes, that's what we want to do. <laughs> Make sure it happens. Uh, because it's, it's those rubs against these old systems or they don't quite understand that. Uh, but I think that the value is much, much, much more than just an hour and a half film. Yeah, you're like, I, I know it's unreasonable, but make it so. Like, we have to go to <laughs> exactly. Warp 10 pronto, Scotty. Like, it's got to happen. <laughs> <laughs> 
But yeah, there's a lot going on with that. We are picking back up on the development of Mythify. We have um, kind of conceptualized it and tried to, in the background, build this thing in our minds and kind of on paper. And, and now we're going to try to start implementing that stuff this year into the into the site and ultimately this platform uh, that people can come in and, and participate in this remixed mythology. Michael, I know you're you're chomping at the bit for a question. You probably have a really good juicy <laughs> one, so I'll, I'll, I'll no, cut to the chase on this one. All right, so I'll, I'll get there really quick. But uh, you know, I, I thankfully have not had too many dealings with uh, with lawyers and people in the legal scene, so to speak. But uh, I do know that you know if if there's a a case or a uh, uh, opportunity for a lawyer or somebody involved in the, in the legal field to do something new, that it can set a precedent for future cases and future opportunities. So by providing a challenge, you are in a way also opening a, a legal uh, opportunity for future entrepreneurs and, and people endeavoring to uh, choose a, a novel route themselves. I hope so. That's uh, it's, it's what I want to do. I, I more than even kind of putting documentaries out is how are we just trying to open up to some new ideas? And if I could spark that in one individual i feel like um, i'm doing my job so i'm hoping that that continues to grow and that we can light more than one spark uh, so to speak so yeah. here we are you know i think mythify is definitely interesting as a platform i think uh my my interest though moving forward is is more about the the projects that you have on your plate right now uh film projects niche sure. and and uh you know what's going on for you with that and then how you see you know for me the big question with with this entire podcast has been an issue of legacy that's why it's you know called future fossils it's about what it is that we're leaving behind you know not even necessarily the things that we're aware we're leaving behind and so it provides us an opportunity in the same way that birds walking on a beach are not necessarily aware that their footsteps are going to be preserved in in mud and then it's going to be you know something that somebody finds 150 million years later there's there's this question of how are we going to be observed what are we leaving behind that we're not that we're not necessarily leaving behind intentionally and then why you know what is our relationship to the future so that's the light that i'd like to cast on the the work that you're doing and and why you're doing it and and how you you imagine or hope that it will be received by those still unborn. <laughs> Dang, man, that was good. That was very good. <laughs> I think you answered the question for me. Um, I, you know, I'm cautious talking about what the idea of legacy, at least within myself. I, I think when I create something, um, and, and even just thinking about the spirit molecule, it's really to, even though I can see how that is going to, in some ways affect an emergent culture down the road. Um, what I'm really trying to do is challenge the current ideas and what's going on presently. Uh, I thought there was a lot of disinformation out there about what psychedelics were and, and what they are and what they can provide for us. Um, and I'm seeing the spirit molecule now that it's been out for almost five years or roughly five years that it still has this kind of strange attractor aspect and most documentaries are going to die out after six months to a year and this one seems to be gaining more momentum going forward and, and that to me I think addressing like what's happening now um, and challenging some of that and leaving it open-ended as well 
uh, it's not a lockdown thing. Like this is the way it is, and this is what psychedelics are, and these are the answers. We know it all, so that's it. Um, leaving it more as a kind of an open-ended approach that that gives it some more longevity. It also gives it uh, its an impact on the future, hopefully in bigger ways than than just uh, the initial release. So I. Uh, I don't know how it's going to affect the future so much. I hope that it does. I hope it continues to resonate with people. I think the ideas and stuff within DMT particularly have um, have just started to kind of culturally resonate with people. I think there's a counterculture or underground that, that gets it. But then as we're moving towards this more psychedelic or uh, open or kind of emergent culture, that, that more and more people are going to come to that and explore those ideas and talk about it once they go see it. Um, it's not that they just experience this linear hour and a half movie or an hour and 15 minute movie, but they are taking those ideas and starting to discuss them with friends and possibly that's what I, I'd hope for, I guess, with that work. And and that carries through to the other stuff as well, the other documentaries, even the, the new one here that I was talking about, it's called Ground of Being and looking at kind of our symbiotic relationship in the natural world. Yeah. Just getting people to understand that we're part of this organism called Earth floating through space <laughs> um, is is very exciting for me. Uh, it seems like kind of a simple idea for a lot of us, but getting people to pull back and actually get back to that that time in the 60s when we're looking back at Earth for the first time as an entire planet, um, we, we kind of skipped over that. It had a big impact, but then getting back to that now and seeing how we're playing a role in that, uh, that changing system, but understanding that we're a part of that changing system and not separate from it, that's, uh, I think that's a futuristic thing too, and hopefully will have an impact down the road. So maybe the metric is not how long can we remain relevant, <laughs> but how soon can we be irrelevant? How soon is it that every human being on the planet is just like popping out of the womb with this understanding, inherited epigenetically from their parents who got it for their whole lives, as soon as everyone appreciates the fact that they are maybe just like a cell participating in the multicellular body of this planet, these ideas that you're having to issue forth like molten lava upon the, the barren <laughs> landscape of modern culture, that that, that, that lava is eventually going to cool and form new ground, and hopefully that would happen as soon as possible. Hopefully. I live to see the day when I'm talking about this stuff and my grandkids are like, you're not, yeah, yeah, okay, we get it. Nothing new here. Okay. <laughs> We've already moved on to the more important thing, which is how do we participate in the Galactic Federation? That's it. And, yeah. and it's not that we're all going to start waking up or, or being born. And I think we've had this discussion before, Michael, that uh, th there's different frameworks on the planet, those different realities operating, so oh, man. not, not yeah. everybody pops in with that information all at once. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a, it is a slow process, and it's like molten lava. It's a, it's a great way to look at it. But it slowly uses out, and it, as it solidifies, and it kind of impacts itself in one culture, and then that, due to the nature of the world now, and the, and the connectivity of everything, starts to solidify another culture, and, and so on and so forth. Yeah. Trees, I've always been fascinated by how trees perceive time and plants are they've been around a lot longer than we have. So evolutionarily they probably have something to offer us if we just stop for a second and listen. Mm -hmm. And 
they're fascinating creatures also that their food is sunlight and then that their waste is what makes life possible um, that to me just that blows my mind it's it's a it's a simple thing that i think a lot of people just kind of gloss over but walking around and communing with with trees or plants um, and you mentioned psilocybin and we'll, we'll talk about them talk about the fungus and talk about what's going on there that, that whole yeah. neural network is and parents had plenty to say about that i would highly recommend diving into it it's 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 fun and it's fascinating and there i think Plants can communicate with us, not just in the psychedelic sense, but if we actually stop, take some time to, and this sounds so new age, and I hate the fact that it does at <laughs> We, we um, can feel you there too. Yeah. give it a shot, people. Give it a shot. Um, ask the trees what time is. Ask the trees, like you said, what love is. Um, what, their, what their perception is. And just listen. And who knows what comes. And maybe this is all... A bunch of new HBS. I don't think it is. I think there's a connection there with these other living organisms that we can actually tune into. Um, and, and just sitting out in nature and being cautious or being aware of that um, can bring some beautiful insights and stuff that will stick with you forever. Um, and, and just, I want to get back to the psilocybin film really quick. It's, we're actually distributing the project. Uh, it's a friend of mine here in Austin, uh, Robert J. Barnhart, who produced it. And it's looking at um, the research that's been happening at Johns Hopkins, UCLA, and NYU with terminally ill cancer patients. So coming to terms with their own demise in a short amount of time and then getting information from a plant or communication to evaluate your own life. Uh, and they've had some amazing success with that. 75% of the patients and the people that were involved in these were saying it's one of the best experiences of their life. And then they're okay with, with, with dying. That's and they also amazing. understand that they're not really dying. They're just moving to a different iteration of self. Sure. State change. State change. Yeah, there you go. Viscosity. <laughs> right? Or, or plasticity versus, you know, yeah. viscosity, etc. Well, you know, a, a lot of that, uh, that benefit that we're now... Uh, confirming as conferred by so many, so vastly more than the minimum threshold for any any kind of uh, you know big pharmaceutical initiative. Yeah, it takes almost nothing to push some new drug through the system, but these are these findings are, are putting this this uh, rate at a reliability level vastly, vastly higher than Lipitor, et cetera. Um, <laughs> hey, lay off Lipitor, record. man. Lipitor's great. Sorry. If any pharmaceutical worked 75% of the time, it would be a total miracle drug. Um, but So at any rate, the, the, uh, the cool thing that I think about, you know, what you're, you're, you're pointing to here is that these benefits appear to be offered by these experiences in part precisely because the uh, psilocybin interacts with the brain in a way that it loosens or it, it down regulates the activity of the parts of the brain associated with defending a sense of self in space as a self other boundary and in time as the narrative construction of an ego so it's actually the uh, sort of the deconstruction of what we take as our everyday idea of what it means to be a person moving through time 
this is what actually it, uh, grants people this remarkable equanimity and peace and uh, it's, it's the very the very vision of the groundlessness of their identity in time that makes it so much easier for someone to face death without fear. Yeah, and, sure. and Dennis McKenna has a great way of, of talking about this as well. That there is a molecular language, and that is a communication mechanism for plants. It's not just psychedelic plants, but even the food that we're putting in our body. Uh, and and there's, an, there's an actual discussion and dialogue and communication going on through a molecular process. Uh, and so it can. It can do just that. It can erase the idea of that ego. It can open you up to timelessness. Uh, and those structures and those beings, uh, and I really do think there is an intelligence within plants, can communicate with us. Yeah, I mean, to, just to take the, the devil's advocate perspective really quick, though, um, I'm sure you guys have had uh, experience with this as well, but the, the you know, the pro-trippers out there who uh, uh, engage uh, frequently and, and intensely in, in these endeavors, uh, and yet still seem to have a significant chunk of experience missing. Um, I've run into that many times where there's somebody who swears by ayahuasca and they've, you know, they've personally gone to the Amazon and have a, a deep friendship with a, a shaman, uh, and, and they come back home and they still keep losing their girlfriends over and over. Um, and then things or, just keep or happening. Just drive, <laughs> the ego expands at times. Uh, sure. There, there is that aspect of it. And, and it's, yeah. It's not a panache, you know? It's not an overnight. It's not a silver bullet. It, it can give us glimpses into those states, though. But it, it also is us coming back in this three-dimensional reality and actually doing the hard work. Once you've had that awareness, you're going to have to do something about it. It's not going to just be. We have to start changing those patterns within our lives. That's usually the cause of failed relationships or the reason I'm always angry or fill in the blank here. Yeah, I mean, my, my personal experience with, with uh, especially mushrooms has been kind of on par uh, or, or similar in a way to like uh, Scrooge waking up on Christmas Day after having been visited by all three ghosts of past, present, and future <laughs> and thinking, wow, I got another shot. This is amazing. I've really got to call the people I love. I've got to like get them some, you know, sandwiches, uh, give them hugs. Uh, and, and, you know, just having this, this, this new sense of liveliness, this deeper verve. Uh, that if I take action on it the next day, that's actually my favorite thing about the journey. The day before is the day after. Mm -hmm. The reintegration. Right. That's my favorite part, too, because that's that's when I start getting annoyed with things. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, oh, there it is. I never stop. No. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> I can't, yeah. you know, you can't just, like, float around. You know, you, you really, this is the opportunity to test my revelations. I've got to anchor all of the lofty guru stuff in, you know, being annoyed with my girlfriend's cat, etc., that's the real moment, right? Is when when you no longer hear the trees speaking to you. Michael, you should listen to your girlfriend's cat because it's probably annoyed with you as well. Oh, I know. <laughs> I know that she is. I know that she is. She's like, oh, him again. I, I get that with my dog, so I, I, I understand. Pets are excellent foils, as are psychedelics. In fact, Whoa. they are sometimes uh, uh, very closely intertwined in my experience. Well, yeah, I mean, definitely, you know, there's, there is also, uh, in a strange way, and this is getting kind of off the deep end here, maybe, but I do think that pets, the, the modern domestic familiar, 
you know, like the notion that these are the animals that are now domesticated because they were already living in proximity with human beings and in close relationship to them. Now, even cats, which are relatively recently domesticated, were living in our barns and our temples for thousands of years. But it's like there, there's, a, there's a sense in which we've been living together for so long that we reflect one another. And so in a weird way, like the cat is as a mirror image of something that's going on inside of me. Mm-hmm. And it's like it's almost I can discover my own agitation or or my girlfriend's agitation through the the cat like i'll notice that the cat is complaining before i notice that my girlfriend is upset Mm. you know and that there's and that they have a very different sense of of time also because they lack all of that neural machinery that allows them to establish narrative structures right and so everything is very urgent and immediate for them and so you know trying to like step into that that uh, you know state of consciousness has been really uh, illuminating sure it's, it's like the canary in the, the coal mine you know or, or, or having a, a external uh, or perceived external foil for your own internal machinations that in a way can be revealed the presence of an animal will just happen there right in front of you whether you want it to or not um, and it's it's beautiful if you uh, sit back and, and clean up the mess if there is one and <laughs> deal with it. Uh, there's something always to be learned, I think. I've been learning a lot this year. I have a, a puppy. Um, well, I said puppy's probably about 10 months old, so I guess it's still a puppy. But there's yeah. a lot of learning that's been going on with that. Mm. Uh, and even within with my with my girlfriend, the relationship and how the dog plays a role in that is fascinating to me. Yeah. Because they're very attuned to what's going on, and at the same time, like you said, Michael, it's that it's that immediacy almost of, of what that is, and and, and that uh, kind of that open heart, right? It's like, well, I can see that you're stressed as hell right now, and, and they're going to kind of hide over in the corner, or hey, I need to give you a bunch of love right now, or whatever it may be. I'm hungry, damn it, give me some food. <laughs> it's experience like seeing seeing my cat like uh, fold its ears back if I'm playing a track too loudly or, or the wrong kind of music. And, you know, if I've been in a psychedelic experience and I put on the wrong kind of music, my ears go back the same way, metaphysically. So, <laughs> I, I often, like, now will just, uh, when I'm producing, I'll, I'll, I'll keep the cats nearby, let them, like, kind of hang out uh, on the desk and everything. And um, it, it's, it's interesting how those things play back. But it, it does ultimately, in a way, come back to this deeper, and in some cases, uh, uh, apparently or, or seemingly missing connections to the deeper natural world. And uh, there, there are many points of access, including just through ourselves, through meditation, or, or through staring out the window at, at uh, the birds of the trees, or even a brick wall, whatever you can find. I'm looking at all three right now, brick wall, tree, and birds. There we go. Even better, man. The, the perfect <laughs> trifecta. <laughs> so something, something that I'm, I'm noticing, maybe we can ex- sort of synthesize or extract this out of the conversations, it's sure. coming up again and again and again, which is the the way in which non-human perspectives, whether that's our, you know, the pet cat or the tree that you're, you're communing with in non-ordinary states of consciousness, uh, that, we, that these perspectives sort of round out or complete the human experience and that we're actually less for not considering what it's like to experience time as all of these things. And so in some way, uh, you know, we we are we're not even fully human 
without the entire uh, ecosystem within which we have emerged. And so, right. like, really, we're, it, it gets back to that issue of, of uh, relativity on the, the temporal landscape. Like, really, you know, when you're in a room with, like, four different species of creatures, or maybe even four different people at four different points in their, their life, you know, because, like you were saying, Mitch, earlier, it, it, our experience of time changes. Mm -hmm. uh, but, like, there's this sense in which there's actually, you know, as many different kinds of time going on as there are in the room, and together they complete... They create this, uh, you know, it's like the that uh, you know the five blind guys on an elephant, you know. <laughs> yes. You mentioned that earlier in our chat. So th there's something about about the uh, no matter how multi-dimensional we can get with our own understanding of time as human beings, that's still merely conceptual, and that there's something even uh, like perhaps unimaginably richer about understanding time as it is simultaneously experienced by uh, all manner of different neurological types and, uh, and you know, organismal configurations. Yeah, and hopefully being able to peer into those with new technologies helps give us that glimpse a little quicker. Uh, but I think that's kind of happening on a planetary scale. I mean, just the, just the talks about global warming and I won't even get into all the issues behind that but there's this awakening that's happening that, that alludes to hey we are not the only ones here and we're playing an impact so we're having a huge impact on the rest of the natural or living world and once we can start tuning into some of that a little bit more whether that's a cat or, or a tree or, or just the planet in general uh, we will I think become I don't want to say more human, but more the complexity uh, rises. The whole on the whole on steps out. Yeah, I mean that's an interesting uh, uh, paradox of, of the modern, especially Western perspective. Is like uh, these uh, disparate but simultaneous perspectives of human beings are amazing. We can do anything we want. We can accomplish these global systems. We can go to the moon. We can uh, send. Uh, probe to the outer reaches of the solar system and take multi-spectral images of Pluto, but at the same time, we're obviously not powerful enough to affect the whole planet, and then it's like a big disclaimer, like saying, well, we can't do that, no way. But I think we do have to come to terms with our own power, that's really kind of what it is, and that's where you see these paradoxes, it's kind of like these uh, uh, disparate views that actually kind of point to the middle of, uh, in my opinion, the fact that human beings have remarkable potential that is largely untapped, but does have a huge impact. Or, or blind power, right? Uh, how we we might try to force it and then not even realize what sort of an impact it's having on the opposite side of the planet. Uh, if our economy changes, then what's happening to the natural resources in any particular part of the world? Or, you know, these structures are so intertwined that uh, yeah, we need to start to be aware of, of what that power is. Um, and maybe power is the wrong word, but maybe just uh, again our. our place in that cosmo or cosmos yeah well man this is this has been really fun i hope uh, everybody listening has been having a good time too uh, hopefully we haven't left anybody behind and they're like all right enough of these guys um well that's why the, that's why the stop button exists and that's why there's lots of other podcasts uh so if you're still around thank you guys very much uh this has been future fossils we, we've been chatting with uh with mitch schultz and we'll post links to the new psilocybin documentary as well as to the uh the collective Mythify and other links relevant in the description of the podcast and uh, 
My co-host is Michael Garfield. I'm Evan Snyder. And uh, this has been really fun. Um, <laughs> I look forward to future Absolutely. chats. Thank you guys so much, and I hope we can do this again soon. Oh, I suspect we'll be hearing from you again, sir. <laughs> yeah, I think that might happen. So, thanks to all the listeners out there, too. I appreciate you tuning in, and, and uh, hope you come visit us and check out some, some of the work. Right on. Well, may the, may the courts be with all of you. Uh, <laughs> uh, oh, sorry, pun. Well, courts is a timing you know, uh, device in many cases with respect to, to uh, you know, data and digital communications. So, hey, um, yes. or, from Michael's, or from Michael's point of view, the glass. You know, oh, there um, you go. Yes, yeah, the Google Glass. The Quartz yeah. Age. But we won't go there. <laughs> Not yet. Uh, soon, I suspect. So thank you guys very much. Uh, uh, sending big love, big hugs from New York City. And we also got uh, uh, Austin, Texas represented. And we, we tend to go all across the board. We, we do this actually via Skype uh, for now until we can meet in person more often with our guests. And it's interesting to be able to cross those uh, geographical divides as well as, well as psychological. So um, stay tuned. Thanks, guys. Yeah, definitely. Thanks, Mitch. Uh, hey, Mitch. Yes, sir. While we still have you on the call, uh, now is a good time to discuss. I know uh, you and uh, Evan, you might want to take the point on this one because I don't know what you guys have talked about so far and what you haven't. Um, Evan, are you still there? I am, yeah. Okay, cool. But I know that, that uh, we've been talking about the distribution of this podcast and uh -huh. that... This is where you're going to take over, Evan. Okay. Oh wow! All right. Thanks for the setup. Yeah, that's fine. I'll, I'll take that. I'll take that buck. <laughs> um, well, because yeah, I don't remember quite exactly where where you were with Matt about all of that, et cetera. Right on. Well, uh, Matt and Time we all have their own podcasts they're doing, which which I'm going to uh, probably be on again at some point in the near future, but. Uh, we have an uh, uh, opportunity here to look at multiple distribution channels, and we have, we've had a few offers, uh, and one of which is from Lost in Sound uh, and our good friend Pat. And we wanted to talk to you about that as well to see how maybe Mythify or DMT Spirit Molecule would fit in. Uh, if you guys are interested in, in reposting or uh, maybe just you know uh, being a guest on the future cast that we have, uh, where you're, where you're comfortable with them. Yeah. Ask that. Absolutely. Wow. Okay. I, absolutely. I would love to put it out, and I'd love to come back and continue this conversation, and, and we'll put it out across all of our channels for sure. And, and not just this one. Let's you know send me the other ones. I think all of it's going to be relevant to our audience. So I'd love to help that help you guys out. That part. Awesome. You. Thank you very much, uh, man. Yeah. yeah our, absolutely. Our, our last. That's what best. it's all about, baby. That's what it's all about. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean. I, I thought I would just kind of, you know, uh, provide all the uh, the chips there on the table and then let you grab what you wanted. But um, our, our last guest was actually a consultant for NASA, and, and he used to uh, uh, talk uh, quite oh, a bit in yeah. person. Yeah, you know, Bruce. I don't sure. Okay, yeah. yeah. So we've had some good guests line up already, and, and I've been uh, uh, pleasantly surprised by the opportunities we're presented with. We actually have another podcast coming up here in, in uh, uh, under the hour, I believe. Correct, Michael? Uh, yep. Yep. Forty minutes. 37 minutes from now. Yeah, so we're just recording as many as we can, and we're going to edit them to the best quality available, and uh, we'll have a batch available right away before we're ready to drop everything, so we have a good amount of content set up. So I know that uh, you and I, Mitch, had talked about um, me providing uh, written content. Um, Matt has, has kind of let his team take the point on that for the time being, so this is a way I could provide some content for, for you guys as well. Absolutely, and yeah, just send over any of those, and we'll we'll put them into the feed, and um, and we'll get them posted. Fantastic. 
Sounds good. We'll, we'll be in touch about the logistics and, and uh, you know, we're, we're definitely in the mind of, of kind of letting things uh, take the improvisational flow with it within moderate constraints. So if you're cool with that, that, that's, I think, a good way to go. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. And let me know when we can do it again and uh, look forward to it. Michael, are you in Austin right now? I am, sir. What are you guys doing this week? Well, uh, Steve is flying back in town on Thursday. Uh-huh. And we're immediately turning around and going out of town for some um, some much-needed uh, exploration. But uh, we will be back a week from today, and, and we should plan on getting together. So wait, are you, you're not going to be in town on uh, Thursday night, correct? We will be, but Steve gets in at 4.30 after, you know, a 15-hour flight. Uh-huh. So he, are you performing or something? Or? Yeah, it's the it's the first anniversary of Looper's Night. It's a really oh, solid okay. lineup. Uh, Jason McKenzie from Sunray and uh, a couple other guys. It's ba- it's very it's very like uh, groove like drummer profession, drummer profession. Okay. Yeah. I mean, let's uh, let why don't we touch base because we keep okay. mics down, but I don't want to make any promises. Right. 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 Well, I'll invite him too then. That's probably the best. There you go. Invite him. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. All right, guys. I'm going to go do some research here for our next guest, uh, cool. Mariah. But yeah, yeah, Michael, yeah. we'll link up soon. And, and Mitch, I'm sure we'll be in touch with many. You have a great night. Thanks, man. You guys, too. And then I'll talk to you next week. Sounds great, man. All right. Good one. Guys. All right. Peace, brothers. Not done here, and we may not ever figure it out. We probably won't figure it out.